The gift of authority is the greatest game changer in the history of the world. The worst day in human history was the day that Adam and Eve let the devil talk them out of their authority. The greatest day in human history was when our Lord Jesus Christ restored our authority when he rose from the dead. That is the big difference between the Old and the New Testament, is that the Lord has given to the body of Christ, and you individually, specifically, he has given you authority. Luke 10, 19, Jesus said, Behold, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. That's the words of Jesus. Hallelujah. So, one example, you remember the story of the centurion. Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come to my house, but I am a man under authority, and I have men in authority uh, under me, and I'm in authority over them. And so he said, because I understand the chain of command, I say to you, Lord Jesus, you don't need to come to my house. Simply speak the word from where you stand, and my servant will be healed. Jesus got so excited, he said, I have not found a Jewish person in all of Israel that's got faith like this foreigner, this, this centurion. Why did Jesus comment on it like that? Because it was faith not based in religion, it was faith based in authority. That military man understood what authority meant and that Jesus was the God of authority. And he said, just speak the word, the demons will flee. My servant will be healed. A miracle will happen. And so Jesus said, church, I give you authority. So these messages are meant to stir you up with regard to the authority that Jesus has given you. I'm really looking forward to this morning's message because I want to share with you about what I call, uh, and there probably could be a better term for it, but, but it, it'll grab you, the authority of salt, S-A-L-T, salt. And in Matthew chapter 5, 11 through 13, Jesus describes the authority of salt when he says, Blessed are you, beginning in verse 11, when people revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things against you falsely on my account. You are the salt of the earth. But now if the salt has lost its taste, its strength, its quality, how can its saltiness be restored? It's a rhetorical question. It can't be restored. If you lose the saltiness, you can't restore it. And Jesus went on to say it is good for nothing except to be thrown out and trodden underfoot of men. That is one of the most remarkable statements among four gospels full of remarkable statements that Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. And what did he say that on the heels of? He said that on the heels, blessed are you when people persecute and revile you for my sake because you represent me. And because you represent me, you are, they're going to come after you. You will be reviled. Don't think it's strange. There's no mystery to this. And Jesus spent many occasions explaining to the disciples 
the conflict of the world that we are in, the conflict that he has sent us into the world with the mission of salt to confront. When Jesus assigns us the mission of being the salt of the earth, he realizes that the world is embroiled in a war between truth and opinion. There's truth. Everything else is opinion. Everything else. There's truth, and the rest is opinion. And opinions come in one of three categories. Either they're correct because they're opinions about the truth, and they're correct. Number two, or they're error. They're simply wrong. The person may be honestly wrong. But the third, they are lies. Sometimes opinions are deliberately wrong. They are deliberately crafted as opinions to deceive and to fight against the truth. So Jesus understood that the whole world is engaged in a war between truth and opinion. And so when he calls you and I the salt of the earth, what he's referring to by salt is he's referring to uh, he, he's referring to the moral tone that we are given to the world as a preservative of what is good and an inhibitor of the rotting process of moral decay. That is what we are. We inhibit the rot and degradation that naturally occurs in the world and we preserve what is good. And I just want to say to you, you know, Jesus said you are the light of the world and you are the salt of the earth. Those are not the same. The church has done a pretty good job of being the light of the world. We like being the light of the world. The light of the world, you don't really necessarily offend anybody. You're just talking about what's good about God. And Christians love to talk about what's good about God. That's being the light, letting your light shine and be the light of the world. Being the salt, that's different. We've not done a very good job of being the salt. In fact, I think many, maybe even most churches, reject their mission as the salt. They don't want to be the salt. They don't like being the salt. <clears throat> and many pastors are in their pulpits this morning telling their congregations, do not engage in culture. Do not engage in politics. Don't make a nuisance of yourself. You are not the salt. That thing means something else. But you are the salt. Jesus put you on that mission. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, Jesus knew when he was sending us into that battle between truth and opinion that that's what he was saying when he said you're the salt of the earth. You are the blocking force against the natural uh, acceleration of rot and decay that goes on in a culture that is based in sin. So therefore, I want you to get this, because if you don't get this, nothing else I say after this is going to make a lot of sense to you. But I implore you, grab this. The mission of salt involves conflict. That's why we don't do so good with being the salt of the earth. We don't like conflict and we avoid it. But the mission of salt involves conflict because it directly resists 
the desire to decay. It directly challenges the desire to decay. Listen, never underestimate. Never underestimate the desire to decay, to rot, to decompose. Just because you think that's horrible, who would want to rot? Who would want to decompose? Who would want to decay? But let me tell you, there are millions and millions of people in this world filled with the culture of the world, and they are doing the deep dive into rot and into decay, and they want to do it, and they are doing it. Never underestimate that desire. Look, be smart. Be like the farmer. No farmer looks at his pigs and says, they, they don't really want to live like that. We need to uh, furnish some better accommodations for them. No. The farmer knows, leave them to the slop. That's what they love. That's what they want. They want to eat that stuff. That's how they roll. Man, that's the way they are. And trying to furnish them, beating the pots and pans and drums and running around and uh, criticizing everyone for not uh, building better accommodations for the pigs is ridiculous. No real farmer does that. Some, anybody listening to what I'm saying? The hogs love the slop, the rot. Never underestimate the desire to do the deep dive into a decay. I want to go further with this point and point out to you that Jesus said in John 3, verse 19 and 20, now this is the basis for judging. That, and here it is, here's the formula, the basis for judging, Jesus says, that light has come into the world, but people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil deeds hates the light and does not come to the light so that their deeds will not be exposed. Did you hear what Jesus just said? There are people that hate the light because their deeds are evil, and it's uncomfortable for them to be confronted by the light. Darkness is a choice against the light. It's not just a passive position. It is a decision against the light, and there's hate involved in it. Are you listening to me? You're following what I'm saying to you. Darkness didn't hate the light until the light showed up. The darkness was happy until the light showed up. The darkness was not uncomfortable until the light showed up. And then it hated the light. Who are they to shine the light? Who are they to say that, that this is no way to live? Who are they to say that this is wrong? That is the cry on the battlefield of a world in a conflict between truth and opinion. And the world has its own version, Oprah's truth. And everybody is, has their own truth. Have you noticed how that the world celebrates the right to have an opinion as though that itself was truth. You have a right to fail. You have a right to be wrong. You have a right to be an idiot. You have a right to be evil. 
You have a right to be just as dark as you want to be, but everyone's going to pay the price, and everyone will be judged. Jesus said, this is the basis for judging. Light has come into the world, but there's a lot of people that hate that light because their deeds are evil. Let's not, let's not try to over-sophisticate it. Their deeds are evil. They're clinging to the... The monkey doesn't want to let go of the nut. You know how they catch monkeys? Tie a jar up in a tree, put a slide a, a nut in there, just put the nut in the opening, and that monkey's going to stick his hand in there, and he's going to grab that nut because he wants that nut. But once he gets his hand around that nut, guess what? He can't pull his hand and the nut back through the jar. So he's going to sit there all day long trying to figure out how to get the nut out of that jar. But he will not let go of it. Their deeds are evil. They want this thing. So that monkey's going to sit there hanging off of that jar until you come throw a net on him, and he's captured. And that's how Satan captures people. There is a desire in them, and they will not let go because their deeds are evil. Somebody say, amen, if you get what I'm saying. In John chapter 7, Jesus said, the world hates me because I denounce it for its wicked works and reveal that its doings are evil. Now, you have to really search today through churches to find that as a message. The fact that Jesus said the world hates me. Though Jesus was highly loved and sought after by many, the truth, the sad truth, the sad fact is that the majority of people didn't love him. In fact, the world of Jesus' day hated him. He was hated by the culture of sin that his light challenged and, and, and um, uh, revealed. The culture of sin and the culture of deception was amused by Jesus, but once they figured out he was not endorsing them, in fact, he was reproving them. And can I tell you that when Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth, Paul picks up that theme and he says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. That's the mission of every Christian as a soul to the Notice it doesn't say, have no fellowship with people, but reprove the people. Now, you can't separate the monkey from the nut, especially when the monkey doesn't want to give up the nut. But Jesus and Paul said, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works. So the church isn't standing up against people. The church is simply standing, representing Jesus, saying, this is truth, this is opinion. I'm sorry if you hate that. I'm sorry if you don't like that. I'm sorry if it makes you angry. We love you. I was where you were at at one time until Jesus' light opened my eyes. So understand that Jesus said, the world hates me because I denounce it. A Jesus who denounces darkness would get kicked out of most churches today. He would never be hired as a pastor of most churches today. Amen. He would be accused of not loving the world, yet the Bible says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. You see, Jesus cannot 
reorder, reconfigure, and modify the truth just to accommodate people that don't want to believe that darkness is evil or that it's wrong. So the fact is, is that Jesus was hated by a culture of sin and deception because he simply refused to endorse it. That's all it was, and he denounced it as evil. That's why the Pharisees, the religious order of his day, was full of deception, and they were evil. But it wasn't just the religious. It was all of the, the culture of sin and deception. But Jesus would not endorse it, and he renounced it. In fact, he was so bold to say, you must repent of your sins. Change your mind. I love you. I am here to forgive you of that debt and to transform you and give you the power to embrace the truth, be embraced by the truth, and to be reunited with God. And you know, people by the tens of thousands came out and took that offer. And thank God that is what true Christianity is today spreading across the face of the earth. But people who lived by that culture of sin and deception, they persecuted Jesus. Why do you think Jesus went to the cross? There were no crowds pulling him back saying, don't, don't go to the cross. No, no, don't do that. There was a handful of disciples. If you study the gospel, you know what I'm saying is true. There's a handful of disciples. Don't go. And then they ran off because they knew that the masses were about to turn. And the leaders of the culture, the culture of sin, put Jesus on the cross. The culture of sin put Jesus on the cross. And the reality is that uh, do we, or I should put it to you as a question, do you, do you really think that the world that, that persecuted and put Jesus to death isn't going to persecute you if you represent him? How does that work? If we really are representing him, Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they persecuted me, why would they persecute you as long as you're going along with everything that they believe? As long as you're politely silent about the atrocities being perpetrated on children in our nation today. You know, I want to pause and interject something. On the way to church this morning, I had the had the radio on, and they were interviewing the producer of that new movie about Tim Ballard, um, the, the uh, Sound of Freedom. How many of you are familiar with it? Like, go home and learn about it. Find out what it is, Sound of Freedom. We, used to, we supported Tim Ballard. And Tim Ballard, for many years, has led a tremendous effort to rescue um, children and even young adults that are trapped in the sex trafficking industry worldwide. He, he's operated mostly overseas in foreign countries where they're scooped up. And um, a producer got together, Jim Caviezel played, played Tim Ballard, Jim Caviezel played Jesus in, in um, yeah, The Passion. So at any rate, they put together this movie about Tim's life and the whole message is the message that that there are children in slavery today and there are people trying to set them free. You would think that the quote, compassionate, 
progressive left Marxist movement in this country that has for generations said they're all about the children, all about the, they care about the downtrodden. You would think they would jump on a theme, a movie with a theme like that. They finished that movie three years ago and for three years he has been shopping it all over Hollywood to anyone who would listen. Every single production company, every distributorship, every big wig in Hollywood said that, no, no, no one's going to, we don't want to see that. No one's going to, he could not get anyone to distribute the movie. And they all panned it until he found Angel Studios that, that, that put out the, uh, that tremendous series Chosen, The Chosen. Finally, Angel Studios picked it up and after its first week, it's made $80 million. It is the number two highest grossing movie right now in the theaters. Every single one of them in Hollywood, the geniuses who for a living have made billions and billions of dollars creating culture and putting the, the mirror of culture back in our face, every one of them were wrong. Or were they wrong? They weren't wrong. They hate the light. They hate the goodness. Can you believe that a movie that inspires and encourages the rescue of children in sex trafficking, right now, the critics, the writers, those that are saying that it's a conspiracy, it's a right-wing conspiracy, and that it's, that it's a deception, and they're putting down that movie. They're putting down the theme and what it's all about. What's going on? How is that craziness happening? Jesus said it. The world hates me because I denounce its works as wicked. So that when you stand for righteousness, trust me, everything you say and everything you do is going to get criticized as being evil. You say, why is this? I, I don't hate anybody. I'm not against anybody. Well, Jesus put you into the world as the salt of the earth. And that is the pigs kicking back against your barrier, your resistance. So Jesus makes it clear if we are following him and if we represent him, the world's going to turn on us as well. In John 15, Jesus said, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. If you were of the world, if you embraced the culture, if you went along with it, if you would simply sit down in your churches and strip from your website, strip from your advertising material, and certainly strip from every one of your services and your sermons, any, any comment that refers to scriptures in the Bible that criticizes as sin any of the practices of the new woke morality in America, then you're going, to be, uh, you're going to be viewed as being evil. But if you will purge from your church, just purge from it so that you are not critical of any of these things, then maybe we'll allow you to exist in our society. Don't expect us to embrace you. So Jesus said, if the world hates you, remember it hated me first. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Today, right now today, the world's culture <laughs> is coming out of the closet. 
experiencing a brazen antichrist awakening and referring to it as being woke. Romans says, awake you that sleep, sleep in sin. Awake and arise and Christ will give you light. They're claiming we're awoke. We're awoke. Where did they get the idea of being woke? They're coming out of the closet. The sin, the darkness, the corruption. Satan, Lucifer's coming out of the closet. The Antichrist spirit coming out of the closet. The culture of sin that once kind of politely remained in the shadows of American culture. It was always there, it was always going on, but remained away from the public eye where it would be scrutinized, criticized, and not accepted. They are now kicking the closet door open and coming out loud and proud and declaring we are awake. We are the new morality. The universities have embraced the woke movement. The government is now passing laws to force the public to embrace, in the very begin by, you can't stand against anything woke. Now, courts are piling up with cases of people trying to be the salt. They're just simply guilty of being the salt. You can get canceled for being the salt of the earth. It's an awakening of sin that's come out directly attacking Christianity, putting us on trial, and demanding the immediate surrender of our mission as the salt of the earth. We are being put on trial, and we are being told, you are guilty for the very thing Jesus told you to be the salt of the earth, and we tell you, you must surrender it and put it down. Did we actually think the world that did that to Jesus, that turned against him, that demanded that Jesus subordinate his authority to them, that they weren't going to come after us, that they weren't going to say the same thing to us, do the same thing? Pastors today are in their pulpits quaking in their shoes because they've got a few irritating, overzealous members tugging on their coattails saying, Pastor, how come you're not ever in the pulpit? Why when they... When they, when they uh, Past, when they struck down Roe v. Wade, why didn't you get up in the pulpit and say something? Why was there no celebration? Why, when the LGBTQ movement is sending its, its missionaries into our schools and into the libraries to sexually groom our children, why aren't you saying something about it? Let me go. Let me go. It's pastors in the pulpit today. They refuse. They won't even talk about it. They refuse to say anything, yet Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Come on, pastor, where's your salt? Where's your salt? Jesus said, they will persecute you because they hate you because you love me and because you represent me. Our nation is forsaking. Right now, we are, in a, we are in a tremendous, tremendous moment of history. America is in the process of forsaking its efforts to simply stand up morally and is choosing rather to quit the struggle and simply backslide into moral indifference. We were never perfect. Nobody ever said we were a perfectly moral nation. 
We strove for it. We struggled to stand to our feet. We struggled to stand up and be the light. But now they're tired of that struggle and they're giving it up and they're simply diving into the darkness. There is an awakening going on and there ought to be an awakening going on in the church. We ought to be waking up. Let me just say this to you. I don't believe that the great outpouring of the Spirit and revival, listen to me, that everybody is prophesying and saying it's going to come. I don't believe it's going to come until Christians embrace being the salt. God's not going to endorse a church that has forsaken its mission to be the salt. If you want the power of the witness of the Holy Spirit, you better be willing to be persecuted for righteousness. If, you're, if that makes you squeamish, you don't want to stand up for what is right, what is true, then don't expect to see the Holy Spirit moving upon us. Our nation is forsaking that stand and simply beginning to dive back into moral indifference. And once again, once again, the men of Sodom are pounding on our door, demanding, throw out your authority and come out to us and give up your stand and we'll accept you. We'll embrace our awakening and we will permit you to stay in our society. God got Lot's family out of there before the judgment fell. But that same spirit is operating today and it's pounding on the doors of the church saying, come out to us, join us. This is the way, by the way, the world is flowing. This is the flow of culture. No matter how they, they try to make it fancy and lovely and fill it with words and high-sounding ideals, the reality is this is the flow of the world. And many churches are joining that flow. They're ashamed of the salt and the cross that they once carried. They're ashamed of the cross. They're ashamed of the salt, the mission of the salt. They're hiding or they're modifying all of their previous positions in order to flow unmolested by woke culture. But persecution is the price of having kingdom authority. Let me say it again. Persecution's the price of having kingdom authority. You are the salt of the earth. They're demanding, surrender your salt, surrender your authority, and the persecution will stop. That's going to, be, that's going to become increasingly evident in the months and days ahead. Notice that the scripture that I opened up with said, if the salt loses its taste, its strength, its quality, how can it be salty? It's, again, it's good for nothing not for anything, but to be cast out and trodden underfoot of men. So let me say to you, make it painfully clear, apostate salt is worthless in the kingdom of God. But you know what's even more terrible? It's also worthless to the world. The world's simply going to tread you under feet. The world's not going to celebrate backslidden Christians who forsake their saltiness to be embraced by the world, they're not going to embrace you. They're going to throw you on the road and they're going to walk on you. 
I want to tell you something. People are about to become, I think God is, is bringing a window of opportunity. It's kind of why I'm talking about this today. People are about to become, and I think they're already all weary of uh, this initial outrage of wokeness. They're just getting kind of, oh, I'm over it. It's ridiculous. It's absurd. The devil always overplays his hand, but he's always got something in the wings ready to trot out the next great horrible thing. So wokeness is about to become tiresome to many people in our country, but it's going to morph into something worse. But in this moment of transition, as people are becoming weary and tired of all of this, people are going to make one of two decisions. They're either going to reject the decay and the degradation that they have seen and say, you know what, I didn't sign up for this. This is too much. This is ridiculous. And they're, they're going to reject the decay and they're going to go looking for salt. Evangelism will become easy if you're the salt of the earth. They're going to come looking for you. They're going to look for the sanity of salt. They're going to look for the truth. They're going to look for the word of God. Or they're going to dive into the next level of degradation, woke part two, <laughs> and into cultural rot. Now the reason I say this is because for those who flee woke mental illness, a salty church, boldly standing publicly in the truth and in the love of Jesus Christ, needs to be standing by ready to welcome them. So, we need to boldly stand for Jesus. Because I believe there's a great flock of lost sheep that are heading our way. The oppression, the degradation, it's just going to be too much. The darkness, they don't want it. In fact, that's, that's how many of us got saved. We just had had it with the world. Are you listening to me? I want to share with you in closing just a couple of things that basically are informative for you. How do I stay salty? How do I stay salty? Remember now, in our scripture, in Mark 9, or, or excuse me, in our scripture, it said, you are the salt. It's a mission. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus said, salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Listen, have salt within yourselves and be at peace with one another. That's what Jesus said. Have salt within yourself. The authority of salt has to come from within you. You can't join a salt club. You understand? You're not salty because you join a certain church that's salty. Jesus said, have salt within yourself. In other words, what that means is manage your own life in relationship with Jesus Christ and with his word. Watch and pray. Examine your own life and throw out, throw away those things that rob your saltiness and diminish your authority. Have salt within yourself. Next, have salt within your marriage. God gave the marriage as the unit for society. 
It doesn't matter that they're destroying it, ripping it up. You've still got one, right? Have salt within your marriage. Why? Because the truth is still the truth. No matter how popular the insanity of opinions become, the truth is still the truth. And so the answer for the insanity of opinions is to stand for the truth. Have salt within your marriage. In other words, practice the highest form of selfless love and truth between the two of you. That's the best marriage counseling. I won't even charge you for it. Just practice the highest form of truth and love between the two of you. Truth and love. Serve it. It's Lord in your home, in your marriage. And you'll have salt within your marriage. Next, have salt among your children. Your children are individuals. You can't force the way that they turn out of the decisions that they make or what they become. But you can have the impact and the, the uh, influence upon them that God ordained parents to have on their children. Have salt among your children. In other words, be the authority. Be the salt. Be the authority of love and truth that your kids will eventually want to model. And finally, be the salt in your community. Jesus has given you to your community as the gift of himself to them, to the world. Your job isn't to sell them you so that they'll like Jesus. I think that's what too many Christians are trying to do is, is if I can get the world to like me, then I can introduce them to Jesus. And they may like you, doesn't mean they're going to like Jesus, especially after you've got done tailoring and remodeling yourself to make them like you. Then when you introduce them to Jesus, there's going to be a conflict. Your job is to be the best, honest, courageously faithful follower of Jesus that you can be without trying to remodel him for them and then let them decide, do I want him? Do I reject him? It's the best job you can do. Close your Bible, stand with me. I'd like us to pray.